Hey, it's Clay. Welcome to another episode here of the Money with Clay podcast. And I've been collecting headlines, or not headlines, but articles, and I've finally kind of determined that I should just bring about several different topics, one including you know, housing and people having trouble buying housing, some in- including the minimum wage, and then just some. And the first that I want to start off with, which I believe is just kind of, well, first off, the exact wrong way to approach wealth building and the exact wrong way to put yourself ahead in life, but also not necessarily an excuse for people, but I, I understand why thought processes out there exist that do. Now, I would argue that they are certainly not the proper thought process, but I understand why people kind of behave in the manner they do when you have you know, ranking officials like we're gonna talk about with such attitude towards just money, wealth in general. And when you have, you know, not necessarily, um, well, let me put it this way. When you have advisors to presidents with this th- sort of thought process, it's no wonder why the statistics in this country are what they are when it comes to people not having money to, you know, saved up or people having very little money saved up people having you know some sort of random emergency that comes along and then them not being able to handle the emergency because they don't even have an emergency fund in place. For those of you that are longer time listeners, you know I've gone over all sorts of different articles. But the point here being the statistics here in this country, the United States, are pretty shaky when it comes to, to wealth building and just personal finance in general. And this article here you know, I think really does a good job of kind of acting as the, the, the pillar here to what I want to talk about in terms of short-term decisions, short-term thought processes versus what that actually leads to in the long-term, in the bigger picture. I get it. In the short run, in the immediate, in the kind of instant gratification way, yeah, that, that's great. Right now, feels great. But, we, you know, the, the goal here is you can't always be focused on right now. Now, sure, at some points, right now does play a role and it is important. But in many situations, you need to consider more than just the right now, the instant gratification. You have to look at more of a bigger picture. So let's get to this article here. And uh, this is from, uh, let's see, when was this? Um, From uh, February 2nd. So, you know, a few days ago. And this, I'm not getting... This has nothing to do with politics. This has to do with the thought process being displayed here. But the name of this article from CNBC: America is not an economy, or America is not a company. Former Obama economic advisor blast Howard Schultz on debt fears. Howard Schultz, who just recently is saying uh, he may run for president as uh, as an independent. So I want to kind of skip down here, and I want to go uh, you know into all this, uh, but. So the point here to focus on is this quote right here and then a couple other areas, you know, basically just a couple of paragraphs from this entire entire article. But as I kind of read through it, you know, I just shook my head and immediately thought I'm emailing this to myself because this needs to be on the podcast. But from the article, and I quote, more spending is not by itself something to be afraid of. They wrote, arguing that high levels of debt could be sustained in the medium term. Given the low interest rates mean borrowing costs are lower. Okay, levels of debt could be sustained in the medium term. Okay, just think about medium term. 
Continuing on, giving the areas in which America requires large investments, such as infrastructure, education, and public services, the problem is less about cutting spending and more about increasing revenues, Furman told CNBC. While he called the debt like termites slowly chipping away at the wood, he insisted it wasn't an immediate danger. Okay, do you see the thought process there? Because the debt is manageable, you know, in the medium term, or because it's not an immediate danger, then don't worry about it. Let's just, who cares? And that's essentially what this person is saying is, yeah, I mean, think about the analogy. He's the one who said, it's like termites slowly chipping away at the wood. So we, there is a problem. Termites are a problem. Now, yes, they're a slow problem. Nobody is denying that. But they're a slow what? A problem. But because it's not a medium-term problem, because it's not, a, in his words, immediate danger, yeah, we just won't focus on it. Don't worry about it. Well, that has right now consequences that are beneficial. Sure, right now, instant gratification-wise, hey, yeah, that does make things easier. That can make uh, that can make things appear a little bit better than what they actually are. But right now is not the way you get ahead. In fact, that's how you fall behind. That's how you hold yourself back in you know the long term, beyond the immediate, beyond the medium term. In the long run, Again, that is how you hold yourself back. What do I mean by that? Well, let's hop to another article from Market Watch, and this is from January 19th. Student debt may have prevented 400,000 young adults from buying homes. So this article says, whether our nation's $1.5 trillion student loan problem is fundamentally changing the economic lives of young adults, young adults is a frequent matter of debate among policymakers, experts, and the borrowers themselves, many of whom would tell you emphatically that it is a drag on their future. Yeah, I, I don't understand. There is no debate. When people have student let, student, I cannot talk. When students have debt and then their ability to repay that debt is not so good, yeah, that is gonna hold people back. So from this article here, I and just to kind of take a, a Cherry pick a quote from it to give you the overall context. You know, there's no really reason to read through the entire thing. But more than 400,000 more young adults would have owned a home in 2014 if it wasn't for the rise in student debt. Now, here's my issue here. It has nothing to do with the rise in student debt. Do you want to know what the problem is? The problem is at the immediate, in the medium term, you thought, I want to go to college. I want to have a good time. And I want to go get a degree in the art of Roman bobsledding. So yeah, I think that would be a good choice to take on debt because I want to have a good time in the immediate, in the medium term to have fun at college while I get my degree in the history of Roman bobsled building or whatever I said, a worthless degree. Yeah. In the short run, that was, that was the instant gratification case. But now you're paying the price. How are you paying the price in the bigger picture? Well, you're having a, you're, you're struggling within your personal finances because you have that big old debt and you probably don't have a job that pays you even close enough 
to actually pay off that investment. Well, it was supposed to be an investment, but it just turned into a massive liability. And now that's trickled down into other areas of your personal finance, and you can't even buy a house. And houses are a nice thing to have. Real estate over time appreciates in value. So if you're stuck just renting all the time, all you're doing is making your landlord richer over time. Whereas if you actually make a, you know, if you buy a house, you're going to be building equity over time. And equity is something that, you know, attributes to your overall net wealth. But because you decided to not really think things through in the short run, well, now you are paying the consequences of it. So that's the the one problem I have is I would argue, and I think I could make a pretty darn good argument that it's not because that people, you know, not it's not because co colleges get more expensive and, oh, well, now you have to take on even more debt because colleges are getting more expensive. Now, I've talked about this in another podcast uh, as far as how I would, how I, you know, the, it's a, a very easy way to actually fix the rising college cost. And like I said, you know, I, I've talked about that in a previous episode, but it has nothing to do with the amount of debt. Well, it has to do with the amount of debt, but I should say it's got to do with the choice and the, the thought process of, you know, what, what's my ability to repay this debt actually going to be? Because if it's not going to meet what the debt is, well, then here you go. You're not going to be able to buy a house. And then that trickles down into you're going to continue to rent. And that trickles down into now you're not even building equity. You're making somebody else rich. And it just spins out of control, all going back because you really didn't think about if I am going to go to college, maybe I should get a degree that matters. Maybe I should get a degree where there's actually demand for that skill. Maybe I shouldn't even go to college. Maybe I should learn a trade. Maybe I should become a plumber, an electrician, a tool and die person, uh, you know, a, a, a flooring person, uh, fill in the blank of a welder, a mechanic, where there's all sorts of demand for those skills. And in that perspective, I, those people are going to be able to buy homes. Why? Well, because they don't have any sort of debt payment to be making. Think things through. Medium term, immediate. I get it. When you have high-ranking officials with that thought process and proclaiming such nonsense, I don't I don't I, I that, that's what annoys me is you can't really blame some 16, 17, 18-year-old making those choices that they do because when you have that general thought process of, you know what? Yeah, long-term it's it's going to be like termites. Those termites are going to eat away at your budget and those termites it's it's not going to be good because your ability to maybe buy a house is going to be really eroded because those termites, they're slowly going to be chipping away. But but in the medium term, in the immediate, hey, at least you get to go to a college and have fun and you get to study something that you have you know, a whole big passion for. And I'm all for learning about what you have a passion for. But does it really require debt that is going to you know, you know, reduce your ability in the long run? No, just take your passion as a hobby. Make sure you do something that's actually going to produce some sort of return for you. So that's just one little example of, yeah, in the immediate term, it, it sounds good. And you know what? It is good because I'm sure a lot of those people had a good time at college. They enjoyed learning about the history of Roman bobsled building, and they had a great time. But you know, now that the immediate has turned to medium term and the medium term has, has turned into kind of the big picture, well, now they're... They're reaping what they've kind of created for themselves. 
Another thing about the whole minimum wage. And, uh, you know, for me, I'm not, I mean, I don't think I've done one. I'd be more than willing to, but I don't think there should be a minimum wage. I don't think there's any reason to have a minimum wage because if a free market is allowed to be free, then people will pay what people are willing to work for. And it's not like, and I, I know I've talked about this before, but quickly, let's say there's no minimum wage and somebody, and you are a, a worthwhile person and somebody says, I'm gonna pay you a dollar an hour. Are you gonna say yes to that? No. But if somebody else is like, hey, I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour because I actually want you to come work for me, then of course you're gonna go, maybe or say, no, I'm not gonna work for 10. Maybe somebody else comes along and says 15. Now, eventually there's a point where it's just like, no, I mean, you're really good, but you're just, from our company's perspective, we can't afford to pay you. But when free markets are allowed to be free, you know, uh, minimum wages are gonna set themselves. And I have talked about this before, I know, because I'm thinking about way back when, when Amazon was announced, and this was this was several months ago, but Amazon increased their minimum wage to $15 an hour that they paid. Not because of a government regulation, but because they needed workers. And they're like, you know what? How can we attract quality workers? By paying them $5 an hour? And no, that's probably not gonna, that's not gonna you know, draw anybody. But if we want quality people, and if we want the best possible pool, what can we do? Well, let's just, let's, may, let's raise our personal company minimum wage to $15 an hour. And they did it. It rose to $15 an hour. No government intervention was needed. But let's kind of circle back to, let's focus on the immediate, the, the medium term. Yeah, that it is good. It, it is good that all of a sudden you're saying, okay, people are going to be making more money. And the minimum they're going to be making is that. I get it. And I, I cannot argue against the short term. I cannot argue against the medium term. That is good. But when it comes to decisions like this, there are longer term consequences. And there are larger, you know, big picture uh, dynamics that need to be considered and that are playing out now as some of these, uh, you know, states and cities and such that have had those minimum wage increases are now, uh, you know, reaping. So I'm, I'm gonna leave this person's name of it because I, I don't wanna turn this into any sort of huge political thing, just more so my general philosophies on economics. And economically speaking, business-wise speaking, minimum wages just don't make a whole lot of sense uh, you know, to me. So, because I mean, if, worst case, if somebody is gonna say, well, you have to pay such and such to your people, okay, that's fine, but my cost just went up. So therefore my prices need to go up so I can uh, so I can, you know, pay for the, the, the my added cost that all of a sudden just happened. I need to pay for those added costs, so I need to charge more. And I mean, that that's just, like I said, I'm not sitting here proclaiming to be some sort of PhD in economics, but if you have a product and that product has a $10 cost associated with it, and all of a sudden the cost associated with it goes to $15 because somebody is forcing you to $15, well, if you wanna stay in business, then you're gonna need to make up that cost somewhere. So therefore, I, I guess I gotta raise the price of it. But anyways, so um, I'll just say that, uh, like I said, I wanna leave this uh, name out of it. Uh, but this person, and I quote, laments coffee shops closure over wage hikes that she supports. So this is actually pretty funny because the irony here is hilarious. Uh, but let's see, where, where do we wanna pick this up here? So, and I quote, 
The restaurant I used to work at is closing its doors. I swung by today to say hi one last time and kid around with friends like old times. The, con the congressional candidate reminisced on Twitter. I'm a normal working person who chose to run for office because I believe we can have a better future. The coffee shop in Union Square, which has or which became especially famous after regularly appearing on HBO's Sex in the City, will close down this fall after nearly 28 years in business. Co-owner and president Charles Millett announced the decision to shut the doors to its 150 employees last month. But unlike what blank, you know, so this this woman, this government official that used to work there wants you to believe about the closing down. It wasn't the result of greedy capitalists trying to squeeze the workers, but rather government regulations that forced the company to go bust. The times have changed in our industry, Malite told the New York Post last month. The rents are very high, and now the minimum wage is going up, and we have a huge number of employees. So think about that. Rents are already high, and now all of a sudden, boom, you have even more cost. Yeah, we know your rents are high, which is a part of a cost of doing business. But now the labor cost of doing business was forced upon this coffee shop because of this person's policies, which is the whole ironic thing about all this, is here this person saying, oh, it's such a shame that where I used to work and blah, 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 reminiscing about all the memories. Oh, it's such a shame that this has got to close down. And then the CEO, the president of the coffee shop is saying, well, yeah, it, it, we're closing down because rents were already high. And then all of a sudden we just had more people pile on us via these higher labor costs. And we just, we don't have any more room. Our choice is to close down. So yeah, in the short run, it sounded good. Let's make everybody pay more. Everybody gonna, all these employees are gonna get more. Well, now all of a sudden, what are they getting? Zero, because they just lost their jobs. Because now all of a sudden, in the short run, in immediate term, you know, type situation, which does sound good as I've admitted, but big term consequences. You got to think big term, got to think long term, you got to think big picture. Well, they're reaping what they sow. And it's just, uh, it's, it's a little ridiculous. Uh, and then finally, another thing in regards to the whole minimum wage on New York City so from the New York Post, New York City's minimum wage increase will give you takeout sticker shock. So the article starts off, get ready to see a lot of PB&Js around the office. New York City's hotly contested minimum wage increase to $15, up from $13 or $13.50, depending on employer size, rolled out citywide at the start of the year. And although that's good news for New York City restaurant servers, Okay, so servers, again, I, nobody can refuse that. In the short run, that does sound good. The servers are making more money. Patrons are, grump, patrons are grumbling about its impact on menu prices at their favorite eateries. Oh, now, what, I, what, I wonder what they're grumbling about. Why are they grumbling about menu prices? Ahead of the wage hike, the New York City Hospitality Alliance conducted a survey of 574 local food establishments in late 2018. It found that 87%, so 87% of 574 
of respondents respondents plan to decrease menu prices this year. Oh no, wait. Decrease men why would they decrease menu prices? They just their cost of doing business went up. Let me rephrase. 87% of respondents plan to increase menu prices this year to offset the minimum wage bump. True to their promise, the cost of food has risen at various spots around the city. Basically, the prices will have gone up at every restaurant in New York. John Bluestein, CEO and founder of Manhattan chain Heartland Brewery, tells the Post, at his Midtown Baron Burger joints, he said he's now charging a dollar more for several entrees, 50 cents to a dollar more on appetizers and 50 cents more on pints of beer as a direct, direct result of the wage shift. The change will be even more dramatic as high-end spots, he adds. At a tablecloth restaurant, a chicken dinner with a vegetable and a side used to go for $26. Now it's up to $28. And now it's, or excuse me, it used to go from 26 to 28. And now it's up to 32 to 34, he says, giving general estimates. <sighs> so, I mean, what exactly do you expect? But to continue on, but such moves may backfire, according to Melissa, uh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, president and CEO of the New York State Restaurant Association. Restaurants feel they're getting to a point where the customer might reject the higher prices, choose a different way to eat out or eat their own food, she says, which which is true. You can't just keep on rising, raising prices, raising prices. Eventually, the customer may just say, forget it then. I'm not going to pay that. That's been the case for construction worker Dominique Fabrino, who says the price jump has forced him to mix up his lunch routine. While the Staten Island resident used to eat at the 47th Street and 5th Avenue McDonald's once or twice a week, that changed when his Big Mac meal rung up at $10.52 this January, nearly a dollar more than the $9.58 he says he was used to paying. I may, or I bring my own lunch now almost every day, says a 24-year-old who started brown bagging grilled cheese and rice. When asked about the raising prices as a result of the minimum wage law, a corporate spokesperson from McDonald's told the Post that individual franchises set their own prices for food items and declined to comment further. So this just goes on and on, but that's the ironic part is, you know, we oh, there should be a minimum wage, there should be a minimum wage. And then all of a sudden people start grumbling about higher prices. Well, you can have it both ways. If you believe that there should be a minimum wage, that is fine. I'm not judging you. That's your opinion. All I'm saying is you can't have it both ways. You can't then go and say, well, what's going on? Why are menu prices higher? Well, wh sorry. What do you, the, the, the McDonald's, these restaurants, they're not charities. They are there to make money. They have to turn a profit somehow. So what exactly were you expecting? And then this presents a problem where, well, let's think about it. People are starting to pack their own lunch, which means that they're not going to these businesses. And I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but let's just think through this together. If people are not going to businesses, then that means that businesses, what? They're not making any revenue. They're not selling any product. Why are they not selling product? Well, because they had to raise their prices. Why did they have to raise their prices? Well, because their cost of business has gone up. How has their cost of business gone up? Their labor cost has gone up. Why? Because you have these increased minimum wages. 
But if nobody goes to the business in the first place because the prices have gotten too high, which is just basic economics, and when we all as consumers have a breaking point where it's like, nope, nope, I'm not gonna pay that anymore because you look at an alternative choice such as uh, you know that one guy did of packing a grilled cheese sandwich and that becomes a lot more cost effective. So I'm just gonna not even go to the business anymore. I'm just gonna pack my lunch. And if that goes on long enough, what, what happens to that business? They gotta start laying people off because, well, we, we're not getting as much business now because people are having grilled cheese sandwiches and they're packing their lunch. They're not coming to us anymore because our prices are too high. So we have to lay off people. Now, what just happened to those people that got the wage increase? Well, now are they getting anything at all? Nope, they're getting zero because the, the company's gotta try to fight and stay, in, stay alive. Or in the dramatic sense, Maybe they fight and fight and it just doesn't work out and they turn out like that coffee shop where they have to completely close their doors and now all of a sudden it's a failed business and nobody has a minimum wage anymore because everybody lost their job. It's a vicious, vicious cycle that makes sense, but it all is in the name of the immediate term. The meet or the immediate, you know, uh, almost impulse, the medium term. Yeah, okay, it sounds great. Everybody's gonna get more money. Great. And it is good. I'm all for people getting more money. But you got to let the free market dictate what a certain skill is worth. If a certain skill of flipping burgers is worth a certain price, the market will figure that out. But to just all of a sudden say that, hey, flipping burgers is worth $15 an hour. Well, that's going to have a lot of adverse consequences, which is what these articles are showing. You just can't have it both ways. You can't say, I want minimum wages Oh, what's up with all these prices going higher? Or you can't sit there and say, why, are, why is that company cutting employees now? Well, because you're not shopping there anymore. Why are you not shopping there? Well, because it costs too much and I can go choose that other option, that, all, that other alternative that's more cost effective for me. And you know what? Well done. I would shake your hand and say, hey, you know what? I'm glad, good for you. I'm glad you're paying attention to your choices. I'm glad you're paying attention to your personal finances and you found a more cost-effective route. Well done from a personal finance perspective, but that still means that that business which had to raise their prices is no longer getting you as a customer. And eventually that cut or that business is gonna, well, see you later. And then all of a sudden, the minimum wages don't even matter anymore because people don't have jobs. And I get it, it makes me sound evil. Well, this guy doesn't believe in a minimum wage. Well. I, I, I like to try to think more so big picture. And that's what I wanna encourage you to do within your personal finances. Not necessarily towards college, or I'm not trying to persuade your opinion on the minimum wage debate or anything like that. I just wanna say, you gotta remember, you gotta focus on more than the immediate. You gotta focus more so on the medium term. You gotta always be asking yourself, are there any termites out there? Because sure, termites are slow. It is a slow process. It is not immediate. It is not medium term. It is slow, but it's still what? A problem. So you gotta figure out what those problems are in the long run because those are the ones that will really get you. I mean, think about it. Sacrificing four years, five years to go to school and then not being able to buy a house for I don't know a decade, maybe even longer. So you gain four years of pleasure for maybe 10 years, a decade or more of just making somebody else rich. And when you start to balance things out, that slow problem actually becomes a, a pretty massive problem if you let it. So think big picture. 
what and that's you know not necessarily just in your personal finances but just in life just what 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 are the more are there any termites out there maybe that's what i should name this podcast are there any termites out there because if there are termites out there you know you, you want to make sure that you address them and addressing them in the long run may may mean that there's some short term pain may mean that there's some short term annoyances but you know what It'll work itself out in the long run if you get rid of those slow developing problems. So think long term. Don't get sucked up in the immediate gratification. It's just not worth it. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening. Before I go, I want to just make your attention to a few things. First off, if you enjoyed the show, then make sure to help us out in the iTunes, especially if you could leave us a rating. That goes a long way and just assists me in getting the word out there. And I I genuinely would appreciate it. Second, if you find yourself either in debt or just feeling like your, your personal finances are kind of out of control or could be much more efficient, then I would encourage you to go to moneywithclay.com and check out the Slab Money Method. That is the course that I put together as a former process engineer that outlined every single step, step by step by step with documentation, with forms to fill out, that'll put you on the path, the exact path I used to pay off of debt and get myself to the point where not only am I debt free, but I am now able to build wealth and build wealth in an efficient uh, manner. So if you're curious and interested in that, again, moneywithclay.com and that is the slab money method. And no, this is not all some massive sales pitch when I say that it works, it truly does. And I back that up with more than words. My action behind those words is that course comes with a one year money back guarantee. So if you try it out and you're not making any progress, you're not seeing any progress, then I will refund you the cost of the course, which is very minimal to begin with. And then finally, make sure to check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, just look up for Money With Clay and you will see us there. Again, thanks for hanging out. I'll see you back next episode.